0: If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele.
1: And I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 119 of the Leading Learning Podcast, in this episode, we talk with Jennifer Abrams, a communications expert, a designer of professional development, a speaker, an author, and with a few e-courses under her belt, an ESME, aka an entrepreneurial subject matter expert. And if that term is new to you or you need a refresher, we'll be sure to post a link to an article about the rise of the ESME in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at leadinglearning.com episode 119. Now, before we get to the interview with Jennifer, we want to acknowledge our sponsor for the first quarter of 2018. We're
0: glad to have Blue Sky eLearn sponsoring this quarter. Blue Sky is the maker of the PATH learning management system, an award winning cloud based learning solution that empowers your organization to maximize its message. Blue Sky also provides a range of virtual event and instructional services to help you maximize your content and create deeper engagement with your audience. To find out more about Blue Sky eLearn and everything it offers, visit blueskyelearn.com.
1: For the resource for this episode, we're going to point to the recording of a webinar Jennifer did called Unpacking Hard Conversations, which offers an in-depth look at the topics she covers in her book, Hard Conversations Unpacked. To find out how to access that recording, go to the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com episode 119. Now, Salisa, would you give us a taste of what you and Jennifer talked about?
0: Yes. Jennifer and I focus primarily on a couple of areas um, where she's focused her work, namely hard conversations and the multi-generational workplace. And I think both of those are likely to be areas that are relevant to listeners as we all have to have difficult conversations sometimes, and and we all serve multi-generational learners. Jennifer also shares a couple of her cognitive crushes, that's a, a phrase I love, may well steal from my own in the in the future. And as you'd expect from a communications expert, she's a lively interviewee and, and she closes with the concept of learning omnivores. So be sure to stay tuned to find out what that means. So all in all, it was a, a fun, meaningful conversation.
1: We definitely have me intrigued with that description. I'm looking forward to finding out about both cognitive crushes and learning omnivores. So, without further ado, let's roll the interview with Jennifer Abrams.
0: Hello, out there. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer Abrams. Jennifer is an educational and communications consultant, providing workshops, keynotes, coaching, professional development, design, and consultative support nationally and internationally to a variety of organizations from public and independent schools to hospitals to universities to nonprofits and associations. She's also an author, and her books include Having Hard Conversations, The Multi Generational Workplace, and Hard Conversations Unpacked. Jennifer Jennifer. Welcome to the Leading
2: Learning Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me.
0: So, my introduction um, and my brief overview of what you do was exactly that brief, and so I'd like to give you the chance here to kick things off by saying a little bit more about yourself, your, your work, your interests.
2: Well, I am, um, thank you. Thank you again. Um, I am a former high school English teacher turned new teacher coach turned administrator coach turned consultant and started working in, in hospitals and, uh, uh, have the opportunity, I hope, uh, this even this week, to to start working with startups here in the Bay Area. Um, and what I'm interested in is exactly what this podcast does, which is how do we support adults. Uh, in their development as human beings, as professionals, and what types of learning can we provide uh, clinically, content-wise, technically, but also sort of uh, communication-based so that we can grow uh, as as individuals as well as experts in our field. And so I've been exploring that now uh, outside of organizations that I've been uh, an employee of. I've been doing this now for five years after 26 years in a school district. And it's been an amazing journey. And uh, as we talked off off podcast, I was just in England doing work. It's just been really fun.
0: Well, great. And you know, like you said, we definitely have a shared interest in this idea of adults and how best to support them in their learning. And as I mentioned, um, when I was talking about your background, that, that hard conversations is mm-hmm. one of these areas where you've chosen to to focus some of your work. Um, so I'd like you to define for us what you mean by hard conversations, mm-hmm. and maybe as part of that, give us some examples of, of hard conversations.
2: So I was just working with uh, educators all across uh, Africa, Eastern Europe, and uh, and Europe uh, over the last weekend. They came to a school in in, uh, the UK, in London, and hard conversations for them varied. So I started with the idea that in many, many of our fields, we have either qualifications or credentials or expertise in our content. In schools, it's we can teach third graders or we can teach reading. Uh, As a nurse, you know how to work bedside, you know about clinical expertise if you're in the ICU. And what we don't get a lot of is this ability to work collaboratively with the other adults. We either have kids or we have patients, but that idea of sort of cross the cross the, the group that we're really working with to serve our customer or student or patient, we don't get a lot of background in. And so what these particular – and then there's – these particular people that were coming to this workshop were saying was, wow, I have uh, a mandate that I'm trying to uh, roll out, or I have a really challenging person on my team, or I have to say something pretty um, difficult to a client, uh, i.e., a parent, and I don't have the skill set for that. So, whatever is hard for you to communicate, or it's too hard for you to communicate to this person, my supervisor, I'm trying to get um, information to my boss. Um, it was that kind of hard conversation we worked on. So, to me, hard conversations are broad based. And they're whatever is challenging to you. And my hope is that by the time we go through uh, the books that I've written or workshops or coaching that I offer, you're better able to have a humane, growth-producing conversation. And that is that is really where I go. Some people need to be more humane (laughs) Mm -hmm. and some people need to be more clear and more growth producing about what the outcome is. And so sometimes it's either or, or a little sided on this side versus the other side. Somebody said to me, I thought I was going to come and I was going to learn how to have a hard conversation. He was British man. And he said, and what I realized was I need to have softer conversations Ah. so that it it could be, it's about better communication.
0: Yes. Great. Uh, And because this is the leading learning podcast, and and we're both so interested in learning. I mean, what do you see as the connections between having hard conversations Mm. and and learning and and organizations that offer continuing education, professional development, other types of learning? I mean, is there a need or maybe even an obligation to address hard conversations?
2: I have um, a cognitive crush on two (laughs) researchers. I don't ever really quite know what to say about. I was like, I don't know, I don't know them well, so I just have cognitive crushes on their brains. Uh, Bob Keegan and Lisa Lasco Leahy are two Harvard psychologists. um, And they wrote, they've written a number of books, but their last book is called An Everyone Culture. And it's sort of a compilation of what their work is. They're interested in cognitive developmental theory. And what they talk about is, are we in the business of not only getting our product designed and sold or the uh, patient getting better and getting out of ICU, or, or are we trying to teach the children? Are we really trying to develop the people in the organization? And is that a part of your mission? And it doesn't it doesn't make you money. You see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but you're developing the adults. So you're always in sort of the the human development business and the talent development business. And do I think that organizations need to do that? The answer is yes. I think a, a more conscious, intentional, capable, um, communicatively savvy, uh, employee or colleague is, is just a gift because it'll make the work go easier. So sometimes it's challenging for the individuals to push back or to have cognitive conflict in their teams. And do I think that hard conversations is um, possibly perceived as an indirect uh, kind of thing to whatever your ultimate product or or you know outcome needs to be. The answer is yes. Is it essential? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think I think it's sort of yes and. Uh, but people will say, well, this is really interesting. It doesn't actually create the 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 iPhone. You know, it's not a technical thing. And I said, yeah. But the two people arguing about how to get the iPhone designed. And doing it better, that makes the iPhone a lot easier to make. And so the answer is, it's it's an essential piece to be able to find your voice around what matters, regardless of your field.
0: Well, yeah, and I like what you were talking about in terms of kind of uh, the, you know that we tend to deal with both talent development and and human development, and sometimes we maybe focus too much on the talent development without keeping the the human in mind. And and really, we can't separate them, I I think, is part of the point. You know, we are people.
2: We are people. And I think, yeah, we're developing the talent in the organization in order to get whatever that goal is for whatever that group is. And if you're not developing the human beings uh, to know themselves, to be able to give themselves feedback, to be able to reflect and assess, to want to work on themselves as well as work better with others, I don't think you're, you're, doing, um, you're doing justice to what you could be doing as an organization.
0: Right. Leaving some uh, unfulfilled options out there, some possibility uh-huh. out there. Uh-huh. Well, so I, I know that the multi-generational workplace is another area where you've um, chosen to focus some of your work. Uh, would, would you say a little bit about what got you interested in the multi-generational workplace?
2: Sure. I uh, I moved from teaching high school to now teaching new teachers, and I did that a number of years ago. I'm 50 at this point, so they're 22, and I'm 50. Um, <laughs> and um, when I first started, I was working with new teachers and recognizing that we were having different... Um, Ideas about what work is, what time is, what uh, a career path might look like, what a life-work balance might look like, uh, how one might communicate effectively in a variety of different mediums, what professional development or professional learning opportunities might look like. And it was shifting. And the organization wasn't shifting. Everybody still had to do exactly what they did 20 years ago in terms of how we talk and when we talk and communication and all that. And I said, whoa, we need to be much more savvy. And I call it being generationally savvy. And so I... I talked to my then superintendent who was um, working with new administrators at the time, uh, developing them for the field of education and both of us were trying to figure out how to do it. with new people into the profession and new people now leading the profession. And then I found Valerie Von Frank. She was a co-writer. She's um, an educational journalist. And with her and her support, I wrote a book called The Multigenerational Workplace, Communicate, Collaborate, and Create Community. And it has, it's really funny. I, I started working on it and doing the workshops and talking about it, maybe in 2009, 10, it got published in 2013. And now people are like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's 2018. Hello, <laughs> welcome to the party. Um, and now we're moving into an almost a newer generation and within four years we'll be with generation Z. Uh, so it's sort of like, it took a while, but it's incredibly important to look through that lens to see that it is just a way of looking at the world and it could be by age alone, and how do you communicate from being 50 and 22, from being a a 65-year-old CEO? I mean, it's all important to look at how other people look at at the workplace. So I think it's a really important book.
0: Well, I think it's very interesting, and you're right. It seems like it's uh, the the talk about, the buzz about the multi-generational workplace is really just Picked up and is, is snowballing, and I can say that as I look out my window and it's snowing here where I am. <laughs> um, yes, of course. But you know, you know. So if we, you're, you've talked about the the workplace, but then there's also just the the, the multi generational learners that we're dealing with mm-hmm. now. So so talk a little bit about some of the challenges and opportunities that these many generations of learners represent, and and what do you think? Generally, well, I can't say it. Generationally, generationally. savvy uh,
2: yeah. learning
0: businesses would do to address those challenges and, and to capitalize on those opportunities.
2: I, I think that um, I, I guess my immediate thought is there are so many other ways. There's so many ways. Like we're literally having a podcast right now. Like we're in we're talking on a podcast when. 20 years ago, did people do podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. was there was a radio. Yes. Was it satellite? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Um, and so podcasts in of themselves, while you're on the train or in your car, you can learn, uh, via a podcast or on a Twitter chat or, uh, take coursework to get a master's, um, and and do it online. Okay. And I think that all of those options of blended learning are, are fantastic. And I think that we should be able to find ways to utilize all the technology that I think is so um, attached to the fingertips of, of younger people who are like not digital immigrants. They're like digital natives. It's in their DNA. And this is my caution I did meet somebody who was getting a, <laughs> wait for it, Uh master's in organizational leadership online. <laughs> okay. I found that ironic. Um, I, I didn't think that you could do it without some face-to-face. Um, I do giggle that we can now take most of uh, the quote-unquote coursework for uh, getting your certification in CPR online. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I'm not so sure you as the person who needs CPR is thrilled with, uh, when you actually need to demonstrate that in In person. Um, So it's sort of like, what can you learn about surgery and flying a plane and teaching? And what can you do online? And what can you then absolutely need to have as a learning opportunity in person, in a practicum, doing it? So I love the generational options and I understand that people are connected to phones. And the caution I always put into the generational thing is we are losing the ability in some ways to make decisions that I think might be in the best interest of the learning target and the ultimate experience of somebody who's getting the product or getting, you know, the student or whatever, if we don't do some stuff face-to-face. So it's just know know that that should be a discussion, Mm -hmm. right? Don't just go, oh yeah, we're just going to do it all online now because it's easier for people to do it asynchronously. Well, maybe it's not always a good idea to not be face-to-face to to have that learning experience.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and I think what you were. Yes, what you're getting at is that there we have options and technology has given us more options. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they always fit the particular case. And, and so, we, so we have to think more about, right, not necessarily convenience to the learner, but more about those learning goals and outcomes that we want to have and then think right. about what the supports right, that.
2: Right. Exactly, exactly. I completely agree. And I understand that money-wise, uh, finance-wise, uh, return on investment-wise, oh, we can get this done and, and it will be, Somebody said to me, and I am not, I love uh, startup ed tech, educational technology companies. I've worked as an advisor for a venture capital fund that supports them. I think that that startups are great. But one woman was saying to me, oh, yeah, we're going to do this PD thing. We're going to do it. Um, can you do having hard conversations? We want it in a short time frame. We're going to have you talk online. And, and I was like, oh. You know, like that's a hard, having hard conversations, I hope are not always just a a webinar. Mm. (laughs) Do you see how it, it is not wrong. I've done webinars on hard conversations. Mm -hmm. I want to get, I want to get the information out. I've done webinars on different books with people in the Middle East. It's the way to go. It's the, it's the globe, right? It's just a challenge for me to see how that medium might generationally or globally be the best medium for communicating with the learning target I'm trying to get across. You know well, what I mean?
0: Right. Right. Well, it's this idea of kind of, um, sometimes I think, uh, people when they're, they think they're looking for a certain solution and they put constraints around it, you know, it's has like gotta be right. an hour long and it's gotta be online. And it's, uh, and that's again, to your point, not necessarily supporting, Really, what's the driver? What's the the underlying goal of of that that time and that topic? Yes. So, you know, I know one of the other things that you do is that you offer workshops that are are geared to help people get more comfortable, more confident presenting, facilitating, designing trainings. And Mm -hmm. uh, here at at my company, at Tagores, investing in subject matter experts and and providing them with resources and, and training is something that we often advocate because we find so many learning businesses rely on subject matter experts to develop or deliver training or both. And yet many of those SMEs don't really have the experience or um, expertise beyond their specific you know, content domain. They don't know about yes. the latest research and findings about effective learning and how adults learn. And so I'm wondering when you're working with subject matter experts and others um, and, and trying to help, them get better and more confident and presenting and facilitating. I mean, what do you tend to see as the biggest opportunity for improvement? Are, the, are there kind of one or two concepts or skills mm. that if people, you know, kind of quote, get those, that it makes a really appreciable difference?
2: Um, your, I'm just going to tap, I'm just going to tag on to your concept of uh, the idea of adult learning. And I, I talk a lot about this with um, with people in coaching, with people in uh, facilitating, or in presenting, adult learners need to be engaged and active and self-directed, and they have to be in the learning. And I think that subject Subject specific folks or content folks think that they are there to teach the content and they roll their content in and they don't allow the adult in the room to make sense of it, to apply it, to get sticky with it, to, to kind of um, shape it because they have a lot to say. I have a wonderful story of a, a gentleman who thought when he came in to teach that he was there to lecture bell to bell. And when I suggested the idea that a learner needed to make sense of it and you needed to engage with certain things, he said, well, all of that student stuff is going to cut into the time for my lecture.
0: Hmm.
2: And I wonder if content-specific folks understand the, uh, the, the learning theory that requires a lot of, I call it, set it up and then be quiet. Hmm.
0: <laughs>
2: let them, um, my friend Suzanne Bailey, she wasn't a friend, she was a colleague, and she's, she, she would say, give them some gum and then let them chew it. Hmm. Okay. So it's about noticing that you're not just delivering some inf- some information. They are actually needing to take the information. And when I go and I do this with nurses, uh, if I do it with people who are trying to get stuff across um, in a startup, it's, okay, what are the four things that are absolutely important. Now, how are you actually going to develop adult learning experiences around them being able to grasp that and then take it away? And they're like, Oh mm. no. <laughs> then I go, okay. Now, second thing, what, where are they developmentally in this? Are they complete novices? Are you, cause I've got all of these fabulous, uh, computer science people, math teachers, uh, physics teachers, everything's connected. Everything's a part of it. And it's like, no, we're starting from scratch. Presume that some of the people in the room have a no, no knowledge or a base knowledge. And they're like, oh, this isn't fun. This is too general. This is too basic. And I'm like, ha ha. Do you want them to understand what it is? We got to change up what your little, um, chewable bites are so that you can get people there. It's like I have a personal trainer. And if I have, if I'm supposed to do one specific task, there are, you have to backwards design it. And I think that that those things adults need to be engaged and then they, and it all needs to be developmentally there. And then people go, I didn't even know how complex this was. So we back up and we do some, some questions. What are your learning targets? Who are these people? And it, we go into it for, oh, I'm fascinated by this topic, as I'm sure you are. Mm-hmm. It's what you do. But yeah, it, there's a lot to be said. Yeah.
0: So it sounds like, right, there's there's that you often come up against that sort of curse of knowledge, those experts yes. who don't understand that, oh, we might have to limit it uh, to the those four key points. Yep. And, um, and then getting down to that Really, whittling whittling it down so that then there is that time for the adults to actually chew that gum. You got it. (laughs) Yeah, you got it. You know, I know one of the other things that you um, talk about and write about is is scripting, both to avoid trigger words that that can negatively impact listeners, and also to to use words that will influence and persuade Mm. listeners. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. would, would you talk a little bit about scripting and how we can? determine those words that have those Mm -hmm. negative powers, those positive Mm -hmm. powers?
2: I I call them trigger words. So let's talk just about trigger words. Um, Trigger words are also saliva moments. Um, I have a very uh, dear colleague I used to work with named Burton. And Burton and I had different communication styles, and I was much more a Gen Xer, and he was much more a traditionalist. And I would say something to Burton, and Burton would make a noise, now, do you hear that saliva? <laughs> he just absolutely, and he would, the, the air would come out, his face would get grimacing, and he'd say, Jennifer, that was not ready for takeoff. You need to restate what you just said, because it's going to offend somebody. And I think that the trigger words um, are words that you put out there that are could be inflammatory, could be adjectives, could be adverbs, could be verbs, uh, that you just it's the same thing as saying it a different way, but you've just, um, you've just triggered them. So you got to know where they might be triggered. Um, and what words, so for example, just not even facetiously, but I (laughs) have, I've been in so many different workshops. So I'm laughing because one woman goes, well, I just want to talk to this person about her negative effect Mm. on the community. (laughs) Now. Um, yeah, yeah, we can, we can, do you think you could say it without saying negative. Well, she is negative. Okay. What exactly are you talking about? Or one guy finally said, you mean I can't tell my colleagues just a hot mess? I said, probably not. Um, those are, those are it, but you could also trigger with this. So, um, You're supposed to state the facts. I have this whole script that I use and I talk about examples that you might want to share. you got to watch your examples. So let's say, uh, Salisa, you didn't call me on Monday. All we know is that a phone call was not made on Monday. That's a factual thing. Or or I didn't receive a phone call or you didn't leave a voicemail. I mean, that's, or a voicemail was not left. Okay. Uh, Even saying it third person with no tone, right? Mm. If I said to you, You deliberately avoided me by not calling. Okay. Do we know you avoided? Do we know you deliberately did it? People add those little words and it ends up presuming motivation Mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff also triggers. So that's just triggers can happen in tone. It can happen in additional words. It can happen in verbs that just you know, get added. It's almost like a thesaurus. You know what I mean? Like you can have a concern, but you can also have a situation. Mm. You could have a, you could have a, um, you could just be puzzled by something or you could have an issue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's about just knowing that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm.
0: And and so that makes sense that it sounds like often one of the ways to avoid trigger words is to really focus on the the facts um stated mm-hmm. stated as neutrally as possible correct. <laughs> um, correct and then in terms of you know the, this idea of influence and and persuasion are there um are there specific mm-hmm. phrases are, are kind of, you know, a, a similar thing you can do with scripting to really, you know, mm-hmm. up, up the influence and, and persuasiveness of what you're saying yes. to someone else. Yes.
2: I think I, 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 so I have several cognitive crushes. I just mentioned <laughs> one was Keegan and Leahy. This is my, uh, the second one for the, for the, so far is, uh, David Rock, R O C K. He does a book called your, he wrote a book called your brain at work. And in that, and he also has a website and, and he talks about how in, interactions in order to be more influential. Um, you really need to know psychologically that adults are still primally kind of triggered by fight or flight. Um, and around, and around that he talks about five domains, uh, your status might be, uh, something very important to you and how might in a hard conversation, might you not want to dismiss that person's status, their, their, their role, their experience, just saying one little thing could just trip that up. And then it would just even be worse, right? Uh, if you are dealing with certainty, uh, what about, um, saying something to somebody and they're, they're just a certainty person and you just made things a little too vague for them. They're going to get more anxious completely opposite autonomy if you tell people they have no uh, autonomy in this they have no choice they might feel claustrophobic or frustrated and using the word option if that's possible or suggestion versus expectation might make it easier um, if you say things that share uh, uh, that show that they're out of the, the team versus in the team they have they have a sense of relatedness you you can use different words to meet a particular need and the last one is fairness because you'll hear from people and people. And so I have in hard conversations unpacked sort of a set of things that you could do if you know the person well enough, what not to say mm, right. <laughs> to, to, can, to just really make it even worse. Do you know what I mean? And that kind of stuff is going to make it a little easier for them to hear if you don't have it in there and thus be more influential.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah. that's just one piece. I mean, there's so many other things. Yeah.
0: Right. And it sounds like a large part of what you were just referencing there really does come down to the the, sort of the better you know your conversation Mm -hmm. partner, your audience, um, your learner, the better you are going to be able to, to tailor and to script appropriately.
2: And I think that that goes back to we have a really hard time even articulating what we want to say. That's on our side. That's not egocentric per se, but it's just an agency, a sense of voice, a a sense of what do we want to say. Then we have to become more allocentric. I learned this from my colleague Bob Garmston. Allocentric, A-L-L-O-centric means other-focused. And so in order to get the communication across with less misunderstanding. Who are, who am I talking to generationally by title? What are their concerns? And that's the thing. When we go back into that presentation work that I do, who is my audience? Mm-hmm. Where are they? Uh, what might they need? And I, do I have to add, add more chewing right. <laughs> into it <laughs> what kind of, yeah. So it's, it all in my, in my mind, All of this seems to be very connected, um, adult learning and such. But now I have to say, okay, what's today's conversation? And let's get a few things to that. But to me, it's just uh, being other focused is huge, huge, Mm -hmm.
0: huge. Yeah. Well, so to shift gears a a little bit, um, kind of back to the the multi-generational workplace. And I know that as part of that, you focused on building capacity and those, the sort of the next Mm -hmm. generation of leaders and we build the leading learning podcast as being for leaders and aspiring leaders in the business of lifelong learning. And so, would you talk a little bit about what's at stake in building capacity in aspiring leaders and and what did they need to do, and then what do current leaders need to do to build that capacity?
2: So when I think about the younger, and I assume, and you could be an aspiring or an emerging leader at whatever age. Yeah. But my assumption is that you are a twenty-something or thirty-something, really trying to to take a leadership role, um, and. I was. And so I really, I uh, applaud that. If you are in that situation, know your generations, know the other person, you are now needing to lead people of all different generations and your way of doing something may be more efficient. It may be more pragmatic. It might be more technologically savvy, but I think that discounting other people's ways of doing things is going to, um, dismiss a lot of institutional history, but also just create bad feelings. You know, this young know-it-all, blah, 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 blah. So why not respect, uh, people? And so there are ways to, for an aspiring leader to not come across that way. Um, if we, and I'm going to say the complete opposite, to, um, to really uh, supporting aspiring leaders. I think one of the things that was so helpful to me was this idea that If you are 20 or 30, you remember, you always remember you could vote somebody off an island or vote somebody off Dancing with the Stars (laughs) or upload uh, a Yelp review or have a blog or be absolutely in the world in a collaborative way, okay? And it didn't require you to have ages and years and years and years and years. So I think the idea that we, quote-unquote older people, can receive feedback from, uh, our, our younger colleagues and take it in, um, and understand that we were the people that started collaborative groups in, in elementary school. We wanted people to work effectively on a team and that they are wanting to contribute. And they're not just jumping in and discounting per se, all of the, the institutional history, but they want to contribute and to be very generous with that, I think is what I'd say to, to older, to older, more veteran, more seasoned and experienced people about a younger person coming in. Cause that's happened to me where somebody goes, Oh my gosh, we're going to be here together for two days. Just some thoughts for tomorrow to make it even better. <laughs> and I'm like, excuse me, I'm the teacher and you're the student. And then I realized, wait a minute, he's telling me something so that I can be even better. Hear him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Don't just worry about your ego. Mm -hmm. Worry, worry about the, the learning experience for those in your, in your, in, you know, in the workplace. And so I kind of sat down and I learned and it was, it was great. And so, and now I'm sure a superintendent somewhere, so (laughs) it'll be, it's fabulous. Well,
0: so uh, this is the next to last question, and it's one we like to ask of all the guests on the Leading Learning mm-hmm. Podcast, and and it's mm-hmm. just, if you could describe one of the most powerful learning experiences that you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your, your formal education.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, can I share two? Sure. I'm pretty sure. sure. Okay. <laughs> so one was being coached by Bob Garmston um, who, who created cognitive coaching, Mm -hmm. um, and being, uh, literally on, well, there were like 75 people in the room and he said, I really want to use you to, to use you as a, as a person to coach in front of everybody. And I thought I was just there to sort of be the other person and help him out. And it turned out to be having been coached by him, one of the most transformational, uh, experiences of my life. I had had a challenge and he said to me, why do you have to let go of your judgment in this situation? And you don't. And it was, it was this really interesting experience that I burst into tears in front of 75 people. Mm. And, and, um, and the, the, the way he asked questions, the way he coached, the way he supported me without making it, I'm not gonna not make you uncomfortable and then ask you a question and I trust that even if you have a, a feeling about it, you're gonna be able to to handle it. That was incredibly transformational for me and it changed me and it led me to my hard conversations book. Mm-hmm. Um so it's just sort of about allowing adults to be adults and to grow. And maybe it's uncomfortable and we're still very close colleagues and presented together. And I adore him. Um, so being coached by somebody who didn't let me off the hook, but lovingly kind of pushed me to consider something was really helpful. The other thing is that, um, a colleague of mine started something in our field called learning omnivores. And he said, we are always presenting. We are always the person giving the workshop. We need to be learning so much more than we have time for. So we're going to design this thing where we're going to go to a person and say, we want to learn with you. We'll fly to you. We'll put ourselves up and we want to be with you and ask you about your learning. And I remember thinking, I can call people. I can ask people what they think. I can call professors. And even if it's just me and I could and I call a gentleman named Robert Marshak, Robert Marshak, uh, wrote a book called covert processes at work, understanding organizational dynamics. And I called him and he was like, you want to fly to DC and ta- and do a book study with me about my book. I go, yep. That's what I want to do. And I spent the day with, with a colleague of mine and him, and we studied the book and then I came home. And what I realized was if I need to learn something, I have to go out and learn it. And that sense of, of resourcefulness and agency that learning omnivores gave me was something that I share with people and nobody else has taken me up on it. Mm. I think what's not me like, Oh, please hire me. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you want to go learn something, go find the person, write them and do it. Yeah. And, and people are like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that sense of freedom and responsibility. And ownership is has been transformational for me.
0: That's great. I love that idea of the, the learning omnivores and that, like you said, you can be completely resourceful yourself. You have this yes. agency. You can go out and if you know what you need to learn, you can go and find someone to work with. That is, that's wonderful. Thank you. So final question, if folks would like to uh, learn more about what you have to do, um, where should they go to find out?
2: More. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, I have a website, jenniferabrams.com, and they can find me on the website or this blog will, uh, this podcast will be there. I have blogs, I have a video, um, but also, uh, Jennifer at dot Abrams.com. So in the spirit of the last answer, if you are really interested, email me. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> Aha! Uh-huh. And uh, and 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 be resourceful. And I would be happy to talk to you. Um, so find me at jennifer at JenniferAbrams.com. dot com.
0: Thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. I really enjoyed this conversation.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: That wraps up our interview with Jennifer Abrams. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 119. And the show notes will include a link to get the recording of Jennifer's Unpacking Hard Conversations webinar, the resource that we highlighted for this episode.
0: And while you're there on the show notes page, you're going to see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we would be truly grateful if you would subscribe.
1: We would also be grateful if you take just a minute to give us a rating on iTunes. All you have to do is go to leadinglearning.com iTunes. That puts you in the right place, and you can just get that review in there and a, and a rating to go with it. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us know that you value, value the show. And also, when there are ratings for a show, it makes it easier for others to find it and to understand what it's all about.
0: And we'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to visit our sponsor for this quarter, Blue Sky eLearn. We put a lot of work into producing and delivering the Leading Learning Podcast, and one of the reasons we're able to do that is because of the support of sponsors like Blue Sky eLearn. So please visit them at blueskyelearn.com. In addition to finding out about their services and products, you'll also find a variety of great resources that they offer for free.
1: And finally, please do consider telling others about the podcast. You can really easily send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share. That pops up a tweet with the right language in it and a link to the leadinglearning.com site. Or if that isn't your thing, just take that language, put it into Facebook, put it into LinkedIn, wherever it is that you maintain your community, but spread the word out to that community about the podcast.
0: Thanks again and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.